The reading tonight comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here also in your own country. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the day of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when there came a great famine over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and put him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down headlong. But passing through the midst of them, he went away. The word of the Lord. This friend of my, what, um, I don't know whether to tell you the story first about um, Marduk, the Babylonian god, or the one about Barack Obama. I'll I'll just start with, um, my dad tells a story about this friend of his. This isn't the one about Barack Obama. No, that was. Um... Okay, this is, we saved this part for later. What I'm going to say, if I, later on, I'm going to be saying, like, um, our God, okay? And I feel, I just want to say right now, I feel uncomfortable about that. So, but I, so when I say our God later, um, what I mean, I don't mean to say that um, there are many gods and that, you know, I'm just talking about our God. Um, there is just God. And so when I say our God, I'm also not claiming that our conception of God is the absolute. Well, I just don't want to say it's just God isn't just ours. All right. Well, you know what? When I say it, I, could, I might be talking about. Okay. Um, Marduk. Marduk was the uh, Babylonian God. And, but uh, Marduk was not always the God of Babylon the great and all-powerful God. Um, he started out actually in um, living inside the body of Tiamat with a bunch of other gods. Um, Abzu and Tiamat were like kind of the main um, gods, Mesopotamia. And uh, Tiamat had all these other little gods inside her. And uh, there was a lot of them, and they made a lot of noise. They talked a lot. They talked so much that uh, Abzu became irritated. Like, can't you shut them up? 
And they just, you know, no, they wouldn't shut up. They, uh, they would babble on and on. And um, so finally, Abzu said to Tiamat, you know what? I'm going to kill them all. And these little gods inside Tiamat heard that, and they decided we have to do something. We've got to do something or, or we're going uh, to be killed. So um, they all kind of got together and tried to figure out what they could do. And uh, they all decided that the person who had the best chance of helping them was one of these babbling gods, was uh, Marduk. And so Marduk somehow does this thing and he puts Abzu into a coma. And um, he then kills Tiamat and frees all the other gods and makes the earth out of her corpse and uh, establishes a home, a capital city, where all the gods, these babbling gods, could live. They call it Babylon. Um, And they all make um, a degree that Marduk should be the head of all the gods. So this story comes about kind of around the same time that... um, Babylon, the city-state, starts pushing out its borders and um, wiping out, taking control of um, all the other Mesopotamian cities, states, tribes. So as they expand their power, um, their god actually becomes the creator of the world and their defender. And so, I don't know the story came first or they just realized it but once they were in complete power they had a story about a god that brought them there and kept them there okay now the one about Barack Obama Um, my dad has this friend still has this friend and I kind of feel like I might get in trouble for telling you this story or like if it got out like we should, probably shouldn't put this on the internet or you guys probably shouldn't say it because I can't really... It does, I try to make up names and stuff like that, but it just didn't seem like as good of a story. So this friend of my dad's named Gregory Walcott. He was uh, the star of what is um, universally hailed as the worst movie ever made. Um, it's called Plan 9 from Outer Space. I don't know, perhaps you've seen the movie. Uh, he's the star of that movie, Gregory Walcott. He also, um, in the late 50s, was on a television show about a cop, Car 54 or something like that. I don't know. But he was president of the Screen Actors Guild at the time, early 60s. And he was also very involved in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so my dad tells a story that Gregory Walcott told him. He was speaking at the... uh, Democratic National Convention when it was in Dallas way, I don't know, back then. Seems like a long time ago. Not as long ago as Marduk, but anyway, he makes this speech, you know, as he's president of the Screen Actors Guild and he's active Southern Baptist lay leader guy at the convention and it goes really well and uh, some man comes up to him after in a dark suit and I guess they all wore dark suits back then, even Marduk, um, and says to him, go back to your hotel. I represent some very influential people. We're going to send a car for you. When it comes, get in the car, and they're going to take you somewhere to meet these people, and you should just talk to them. 
So, weird, scary, mysterious. He goes back to his hotel. He gets a call. He goes down there. Big limousine. Takes him downtown Dallas. Huge office building. Up to the top floor. Big conference room. There are the men there. And they say, we'd like to support you to run for governor of California and groom you for the presidency. And he's like, well, I don't know. I don't have a very big name. And they're like, no, winning isn't the issue. You just have to say yes. And he's like, well, you're crazy. And they're like, no, just give us your word and we'll make it happen. So he goes back to his hotel. The next day, they want the answer. They call him and he says no. So then this Gregory Walcott goes on to say, he thinks they called Ronald Reagan next. (laughs) Who was president of the Screen Actors Guild and uh, became governor of California, became president. Well, after the Democratic Convention, I forget when it was, um, when a state senator from Illinois spoke and it went really well, my dad gets a call from his friend Gregory Walcott and he says, they sent the car for Obama. Don't put that on the internet. I love Luke 4. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I always like the first part of Luke 4, Luke 4.16, where he goes into the synagogue and he gets the scroll of Isaiah and he reads that um, I have been called to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, you know, freedom for the oppressed. Uh, it's beautiful that this is how Jesus conceives of his mission, to bring release to everyone. I love that part. But I never really realized that this second part, the Debbie Red's Day, is really the punchline of the whole thing. So he gets up and he talks about this, how all this release is going to come, he's going to do this stuff, and he sits down after reading this, and this is where we pick up today's scripture, and he says, today this scripture that he just read from Isaiah has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone's like, oh, all right. This is Joseph's son. Joseph's son, and he says that he's coming as the Messiah to proclaim release, freedom of the captives, everything. This is amazing. And they're all thrilled, you know? One of their local boys, the Messiah. And so Jesus says to them next, no doubt you're going to say to me, doctor, cure yourself, which is kind of weird in this context, but really what it means is, Um, He says, you're going to say to me, do for us what you did in Capernaum. Basically, look, one of our own is God, the Messiah. I mean, how much swag are we going to get, you know? He's going to take care of us. So Jesus goes on to make it perfectly clear that uh, he says, how many lepers were there in Israel? But did God send a prophet to heal any of them? No. He sent a prophet to go 
and heal the leper who was the head of our enemy's armies. He says, how many widows were there starving in Israel? And did God send a prophet to go and feed that widow? No, God sent a prophet to go and feed the starving widow of our enemies. Basically, there will be no swag for you. There will be, I'm coming, and I'm going to go out to the others, not us, the others. This makes them really upset. I mean, really upset. They, it said that they fly into a rage. Fly, I said fly. It says rage. But so much so that they take him and they bring him to a cliff and are about to throw him off. This Luke is really a great writer. I mean, a cliffhanger right here, right? A cliffhanger. They're going to, they're so outraged, they're going to murder him, execute him. It is an execution because this was a way, a common way that people were executed, throwing them off a cliff. And when you think about it, I mean, there was, there are provisions in um, the Mosaic law for stoning people for violation of the law, but there's also provisions for throwing people off cliffs. And I think if you have to kill somebody, you're all getting together. It seems like, I don't know, it's kind of the difference maybe between like uh, hanging and uh, lethal injection, right? I mean, you could stone him to death, but that is messy. And you have to deal with the body. Throwing someone off a cliff, they're gone, you know? So that's what they're going to do because, you know, according to this Mosaic law, that he's, now they think somehow he's blasphemed, so they're going to throw him off the cliff. And then he just passes through their midst. I don't know. That's a weird part. But it's kind of interesting, right? Jesus is going to let people execute him. This is going to happen. This is this foreshadowing. This is this cliffhanger thing. This is eventually what happens to him. He makes people really mad, and they execute him. So why does this? I mean, this is how the book of Luke starts. This is what they always say. This is the beginning of his ministry. The beginning of his ministry is he pisses people off so much that they want to kill him. And that's the end of his ministry. That's what happens. But I just feel like, so why not now? Why doesn't he let these people kill him? It just seems like he hasn't pissed off enough people yet. You know? I mean, really, he has to wait until the entire, all the religious leaders and the Roman Empire want to kill him. Then somehow it's good enough. It's weird, crazy. You know, in less sophisticated times, gods were local, regional. Gods um, were territorial. There were even family gods. Yeah, there used to be a lot more than just the one, than our god. Every, every region, every, every city, every state, every country had their own god, which was good. You needed that because if this other country, your enemies have a god, you need a god too because your god takes care of you. Our God takes care of us, right? Looks out for our interests, makes sure our crops come in, makes sure that we are strong in battle. Um, that Marduk was amazing. 
for the Babylonians. He was a very powerful God and took good care of them. And that's just what, how God, that's what gods were like. Your gods take care of you and look out for you and act in your best interest. The God of Abraham calls Abraham and says, I want you to come with me. Come away from your home. Leave your people and come with me into a strange land. This is the God we get? This is messed up. Your God is supposed to take care of you. you know, there's even this midrash, this story that the rabbis tell that actually Abraham's family and Abraham were actually idol makers. They made idols of the local gods and they would sell them in the marketplace. They were very familiar with these local gods and they had their city gods. But this new god shows up and says, I don't, I'm not going to protect your people. I'm not going to take care of your people here. I'm not going to be just for you. As a matter of fact, I want you to leave all of them and come with me out into the wilderness and come to a place where I'll show you. This God doesn't even tell Abraham where he's taken him. Come with me. Come to a place I'll show you. And Abraham, for some crazy reason, follows him. Sorry, there's a little step here. I don't know why I just stepped up on it. Yeah. Um, This is a radical thing for a God to do and a strange way for a God to behave. It's a different way for a God to behave. To say, come with me, we're going someplace else. I'm not going to just look after you and your people and your city. I'm not going to be the God of city. I'm a different kind of God. I'm a God for over there. So come. Jesus... I mean, this makes me believe in Jesus. I'm sorry. This is like, when I read this, Jesus comes to his own. And he makes this proclamation that he is going to bring release, to bring the year of the Lord's favor, to bring reconciliation, beauty, peace, justice. And so naturally, as people think, excellent. We've been waiting for it. And then Jesus tells, you, tells them, yeah, I'm not going to do it for you right now. I'm going to go do it for somebody else. That is incredibly insane. Our God is for other people? How does that work? What about us, you know? Our God is for the other people? That seems wild. I mean, can you imagine, like... That would be like, okay, when the founders, whoever, first made our money, right? Instead of putting, like, uh, all these sort of icons of the United States on it, of America on it, they put, like, you know, the crescent moon, or they put, you know, the Chinese flag, and, you know, and they said, like, oh, our money is going to go help so many people be prosperous. This is great. We're making this money that's just going to go out there and make the whole world prosperous. That's why we're doing it, you know? That's like if Barack Obama in the State of the Union, you know, was saying, um, too many people have died trying to sneak across our borders. That will not happen anymore. We're going to start having charter flights. Mexico, anybody who wants to get on there, charter flights, free of charge when they get here, because we can't have people risking their lives trying to get to the United States. Let's help them. 
Let's build bridges across there so people can get in here. Or if he said, and I will not rest, I do not give up, and I won't give up until every Taliban feels that they can safely pass on their faith to their children. That's the kind of crazy, I mean, even more radical than that, this God, our God, doesn't tell us that he, she, divine, divinity is going to make sure we're okay. Our God calls us somewhere else. Our God calls us out of ourselves. Crazy. Here's how this works. Every week. Because it's hard, right? How do you live like that, right? Like, if our God calls us out of ourselves, if our God calls us out of our mind, out of our... to go out for other people, out of our little communities, out of our country, out of our safety, if our God calls us out of ourselves, that's a hard thing to do. So what we do every week is we come and we drink our God's blood and we eat our God's body. We ingest our God. And that God... That blood and that body transforms us. And then that God emanates out of our pores and compels us out of ourselves and draws us to the other. Let's try it.